0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. In fourth grade, excuse me, at four years old, my best friend was Bobby Frederick. In first grade, my best friend was Aaron Troyer. He's a great artist, still is. In fifth grade, my best friend was Anthony Trumpower. In eighth grade, my best friend was Marcus Talley. In tenth grade, my best friend was Chippy. When I was a freshman in college, my best friend was Marcelo Santana. When I was a junior in college, my best friend was Dave Grove. When I graduated college and got married, my best friend was Cherie Stoick. Now, Warner, in case you were wondering. Yes, it's the same Cherie. Yeah, she doesn't get mixed up with all the other Sherees very often. Friendship is an interesting thing. Friendship is something that when it comes to people, you and I, or you and, and someone else, lateral relationships, friendships can vary. We have what we might consider um, maybe the last, uh, I would say, two decades, these things called BFF, which is just a more lazy way of saying your best friend, right? Before that, you had a best friend, you only had one, and that was, that was it, you have friends, you have acquaintances, you have people that that maybe you let into into inner circles, and there's 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 varying circles to which you you feel like you can trust someone or they trust you. And oftentimes, when we look at this concept or this context of friendship in its entirety and its understanding, it's a it's a deeper relationship that we choose to have, and that the other party chooses to have along with us. Sometimes the reasons for uh, having a friendship vary. Maybe it's common interests. Maybe it's because, you know, you, you work together, you see each other a lot. Maybe it's uh, for, you know, whatever reason it might be. Maybe though, uh, or, or I should say entirely though, every time it is as a result of the fact that you are willing to say Yes, I'll be your friend, whether you verbally do that or your life reveals it. We've been looking at the promises of Jesus, and through his teaching, uh, there's many things that we can learn, specifically in the context of his teaching as it led towards that week that we're coming up on that we'll celebrate called Holy Week, which culminates with the resurrection on Easter. And as Jesus teaches his disciples and helps them to understand what it means to live a life beyond simply just, and I'll just leave it there, beyond simply just, he reveals to them the reality that they can experience friendship, this deeper relationship with the Almighty, with the God creator, with the one who has placed all things in order, who has created time, who has created you and created me. Last week, we looked at John chapter 14, the the latter half of that, and kind of concluded at the end of that chapter. Today, we pick up in John chapter 15, and we'll continue through the first part of John chapter 15, understanding the context of what it means and exploring the context of what it means to truly be a friend. It's interesting to note that in this passage, as John is is writing, and throughout the course actually of of these several chapters together, which are uh, to be read specifically, I mean the whole thing is a letter, but to be read specifically as as a one continuous piece, we see here there's a, a vast majority of the text is a quotation. It's the words of Jesus. It's his exact phrases, his exact words that he expressed and shared, and now translated obviously into English for us, but shared with the disciples, those that are there. And the amazing thing about the God that we serve is that that's not just something simply that's spoken into existence uh, several thousand years ago, and then it has no concluding or no initial value or no continuous value, I should say, but instead there's still value, there's still universal principles, there's still truth for you and I as we read today. I'm going to pick up in chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, I am. There we go again, this I am statement before he even gets into anything else, before there's a continuation, this I am, this reminder of God and the reality of, of what he spoke so many years ago through God the Father as he talked to Moses, he says, I am. And if he were to stop right there and the disciples were just to sit there and ponder the, the, the reflection, the recollection they would have or, or the realization they would have is that, wow, this is God. When Jesus speaks, when Jesus is present, the things that he does, the way that he interacts, this is God. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And verse 4 says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. We're going to pause there and look at these four important verses. I am, the vine. Frequently this this I am phraseology is used in the Old Testament uh, as a a phrase to or as a a context for or as a communication with Israel. There's this opportunity here in the imagery used that Israel is often shown lacking. And so Jesus is using this same phraseology with the disciples. There's something that you need to learn, something that you need to know. Jesus is expressing here that he is the true vine. Jesus is saying here something that is very contrary to what we hear anytime there's a a, a conversation within the context of the the postmodern world that we live in that would say that there is no absolute truth, which is not true in and of itself, but there is no absolute truth. And Jesus is saying there is one way. There's not all these other ways. There's not if you're good enough. There's not, okay, well, if I mix these things together or mesh this or mesh that together. Instead, Jesus is saying he is the vine. He is the one way. And as he continues in verse 2, he talks about this, this cutting off. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. This is a reference to judgment. This is a reference to the judgment that's going to take place at the conclusion of, of all of our lives, the conclusion of the world. And at the same time, there's this pruning that produces fruitfulness. So, so either way, get this, either way, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be some pruning or some cutting off. In the New Testament, the, the figure of, of good fruit represents the, 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 the product of a godly life, of virtue, of, of good character cutting off or, or, or pruned are the only options, though. If you recognize here the, the, the fact that Jesus says you're either going to be cut off or you're going to be pruned. There's no third option. There's no, oh, you know, you're going to be cut off if you, if you don't know God, or you're going to be pruned if there's a, a long way to go, right? If you come to God and, and you're not, you don't have it all together. Or if you got it all together when you come, you're good. You're all set. No, what Christ says is you're going to be either cut off or you're going to be pruned. There there will be this, this pruning measure. And if you're following in your note guide, the first point is this. God makes a distinction between the two kinds of pruning. He makes a distinction between these two kinds of pruning, which are the only two ways. Specifically, the first one is separating. There's separating that will take place. There's a separation that will take place. And sadly, many won't realize this separation or experience this separation until it's too late. What Jesus is saying here is after the judgment takes place or at the point of judgment, you will be separated from God. The reason that we can experience real joy, real hope, lasting peace in the world that we have now is because we live in the presence of a holy God. Whether you're a believer or not, the good that is in the world is the godliness that is in the world. If you live in a world where no Holy Spirit is present, you will not experience this. And that separation is more than just not being in the light with God. It's about living in a place with no hope, no peace. And that's literally what brings this absolute anguish, this struggle, this discouragement. The second one is this, the cutting back branches, Now this is one for the believer to recognize the fact that that fruitful branches are cut back to promote growth. And you might think, well, that's, that's kind of counterproductive. Why would you cut back the fruitful branches? Well, for the, for the green thumbs in the room, you recognize that a lot of times pruning is necessary for the, for the betterment of the bush or the betterment of the plant or the betterment of the tree. It has to take place for new growth to, t- to happen or for, 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 for real nourishment to get to some of the other branches. There's a recognition that this, this pruning is necessary. And symbolically in our life, sometimes God has to prune back some of the things in our life, not even necessarily bad things. We all recognize that God, when He steps into our life, He recognizes He sheds light on the things in our lives that might not honor Him, right? There's a, a relationship you might be in, or there's, there's a way that you're spending your, your time or, or a thought process you have that's continuously negative, and God, he'll, he'll come in and He'll prune those away, but sometimes He prunes away things in our lives that aren't necessarily bad. As we were singing one of those songs earlier, we're talking about how God is the best, right? And I thought to myself for a minute, really, he's the only. And sometimes we get things in our lives that are good. And God says, you know what, those are good things, but they're taking away from the best, the only. And so I'm going to prune those things away because I want to know you and I want you to know me in a greater, more deep way in this friendship, in this life that we have. In other words, God sometimes must sometimes discipline us to strengthen our character and our faith. Nobody wants to hear the word discipline. Discipline isn't a great thing. It's it's not like, hey, most of us, maybe you do, and I, I won't, you know, I'll applaud you if you do, but most of us don't get up in the morning and say, God, thank you for this day. Please discipline me today. I'll tell you, I, I, I'm guilty. I don't think I've prayed that more than a couple times in my life and probably uh, they had coincided with this specific principle or passage. But what God does through this pruning is He disciplines us. He makes us new. He, he helps us to see Him in a greater way. The branches that don't bear fruit are, are cut off from the trunk because they are worthless. They're just simply taking up space. They're taking up energy. And sadly, sometimes in the context of the church this might step on some toes. Sometimes in the context of the church, they infest the rest of the tree or the rest of the vine. And so what God's saying here is, what Jesus is saying here is that, hey, sometimes we got to cut these things off because they're going to have a negative effect, a negative impact on the rest of the bush, of the plant, of the tree, of the vine. I heard a pastor say this, a pastor author say this recently, sometimes it's okay to invite someone to leave your church. And I thought to myself, you know, I I don't really like that prospect because we all should be able to come here. We all should be welcome. But what he said behind that, and I still wrestle with this. I don't know that I'm going to invite anybody to do this, right? But is simply the understanding that sometimes somebody or that bad apple, so to speak, can rot out the rest. And it's not as if we're not growing together and learning together, but if someone is choosing to intentionally grow away or to produce negative fruit, what Christ is saying here is there must be a separation. There must be a pruning. People who don't bear fruit in God block the efforts of what God is attempting to try to do. Jumping down to verse 4, it says we cannot bear fruit alone. We, we must remain in him. We must remain in God. The believer has no fruitfulness away from or apart from the union of God, the fellowship with him, with Christ. And the point is this, a branch out of contact with a vine is lifeless. A branch out of contact with the vine is lifeless. You've probably seen this as well as I have. Maybe you cut a branch off. Uh, for me, sometimes there's, there's vines that grow up in, in, in the little thicket behind my house. I'll cut them off. And then after some time, you see them laying there. They're rotten. They're gone. There's, there, there's no life coming from them anymore. I, am, uh, I will tell you right now, I'm not a technologically savvy person. Don't let the, the computer up here fool you. I know most of the keys on there, and I know how to turn it on and off. That's about it. And when I worked at a different church, because uh, virtue of the fact that I was the youngest person on staff, somehow I was given the, the job of being the tech-savvy person. And one of the, the, the jobs I was given was to, to put down a step-by-step how to use, and you're going to uh, laugh if you, if you know about this type of thing, uh, how to use the simulcast unit that we had in our Family Life Center. And so I had to, to, to write down step-by-step step how to do this simulcast thing. And I remember putting it all together and, and typing it out and laminating it and putting it right there with the system so anybody could get it and use it and, and turn it on if they needed to. And, and, and the next weekend, actually, right after I'd put this together, one of the department heads that was having a simulcast event called me and said, Steve, I can't get this thing to work. And I pulled it up on my computer. I had it at home and I I pulled up on my computer and said, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And we went down all the steps, all the things that were necessary to get it together. I said, yeah, I can't get any of this stuff to work. And finally, I kind of troubleshooted in my head, what else could it be? And I, I thought, okay, maybe there's a breaker that's off. Go check the breaker. No, it's on. Maybe there's something else. And finally, we we, we came together and recognized and realized after I actually came back to the church to help the fact that it was not plugged into the wall let me just tell you, I quickly added that to the list of what needed to happen when somebody was using this unit. If you want to use this, the first thing you need to do is plug into the power. And that's the same thing that God is impressing upon us as believers. If there's power to be had, if if, if there's fruit to be given, it has to come from a relationship, a connection to the vine, our Savior, Jesus. We are nothing If we are not connected to the creator, the savior of all. Jesus goes on in verse 5 and it reads like this. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, if you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you re- remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. It's interesting there in verse five, once again, I am. You know, the, the, the imagery here, the metaphor is not lost on the disciples. Once again, God is revealing who he is through the person of Jesus, recognizing right now that he has this ultimate power. He is, I am the vine, he states. This repetition gives emphasis, importance upon this statement. A living union with, with Christ is absolutely necessary because without it, there is nothing. There is no purpose in life. There is no reason for life. There is, there is nothing for us should there not be a union with the one who created us. And then at the same time, God uses us to reach the world. We do so in, in large part by reaching out, by spreading out, by, 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 by being in the world but not of it. I don't know if you know much about the early church, but what took place specifically that brought forth the most growth, the most Impact in the largest way was not uh, a bunch of tracks that people had that they handed out. It was not a prayer meeting where they invited their friends. It was not even a church service where they invited friends. In fact, the thing that brought forth the most growth in that time period before the, the, the church went from a place of being persecuted to a place of being in power, which happened when leadership took on uh, that, that whole context of, of what Christianity was when Constantine uh, got saved, but, or, or um, I would say, um, uh, moving on. Anyway, so what took place is this they were persecuted. And it brought forth a scattering. It brought forth a, a, the reality that we need to go. We need to share. We need to, we need to be the church. We need to be God's hands and feet. That's what this spreading is. That's what, that's what it means to be part of the vine, but still also to spread and to grow. Fruit is not limited, though, to soul winning as well. It, it, it's answered prayer. Fruit is, is joy. It's hope. It's peace. It's the spreading of love. It's the spreading in general of the gospel. Verse 6 talks about this being thrown into the fire. What an interesting concept. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. This idea of being pruned is also this, this concept of being cleaned and this being burned is, is to, to, to vanquish, to, dis, to destroy, to dispose of. Really, in a lot of ways, this is a, a metaphor specifically to what judgment is and the burning that takes place for those who are separated from Jesus. This is the judgment for the branches that those that, don't ref, or that refuse, that don't abide in Christ. Genuine salvation is is evidence of this life of faithfulness. And and here we also see, and the the point is, if you're following your note guide, that disconnected branches are burned. And, And this metaphorical understanding is that it's more than just simply saying, okay, well, I'm separated from the church. I'm over here on my own. or I'm separated from God. I'm over here on my own. But instead, it's this recognition that that will have eternal implications. Our time here, our time in this place has eternal implications for all of us for you and for me. Verse 7, my words remain in you. Here we start to see this recognition that there is a a condition when it comes to this friendship, this relationship with Jesus. Here he's being uh, implicit. He'll be explicit later, but he's being somewhat implicit in, in, in recognizing the fact that we must remain in him and he remains in us. And if we're to have this friendship this relationship with the holy god there's this recognition that something must take place on our part there must be some sort of sacrifice some action this recognition that there's a, a way to pray. When you, when you read this passage, if you remain in me, it says, um, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Not here, give me your wish list and I'll do the things for you, but there's this prayer coaching almost that takes place where when we co- we grow closer with God, we know Him in a greater way and the Spirit breathes life into us and, 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 and Brings forth this pruning that our desire, our prayer, the things that we ask for become aligned with what, what God wants rather than what our carnal nature might want or have wanted. Remaining in Christ. In fact, the point remaining in Christ is an interesting one because it draws the question what does it mean to remain in Christ? What does it mean practically to remain in Christ, the one who we put our faith in, the one who has granted us the opportunity to be in the presence of a holy God, the one who has come to this world and has become the sacrifice for us? The first thing is this. What does it mean to remain in Christ? Believing that he is God's son. 1 John four fifteen reads, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. What an amazing promise that is. First of all, that if, if, if we acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God and recognize that, and that doesn't just mean acknowledging it uh, and, oh yeah, well, Jesus is the son of God. Okay, the acknowledgement has a, a, a actionary uh, presence, an actionary uh, response, which means that we believe and, and that's reflection of him being the one who is on the throne of our heart and the one that, that transforms our lives. If so, God lives in them and they in God, believing that he is God's son. It doesn't stop there. The second thing is this, receiving him as Savior and Lord. John 1.12 reads like this, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become, get this, children of God. Now there are some differences between being a child and being a friend. All right, there is some difference between what it means to be a, a child and what it means to be a friend Those relationships are different let me just say as far as a child is concerned there's this adoption uh, process that takes place becoming more like in the understanding of the the one who adopts you the one who brings you in or at the same time if you're if it's an, if it's an, a natural birth you're born directly into that family which that metaphor doesn't necessarily work as it pertains to God because we're born into sin so there's an adoption that takes place but on the friendship level on the other side There's a differing variation of what it means to know the person that you are in relationship with. If you are a child or a parent, you know that there's a a difference in in power maybe based upon the ages that you are. There's a difference in understanding. There's a difference in, in sharing. But when there is a friendship involvement, when we talk about this context of being God's friend, there is a sharing of knowledge, a sharing of resource, a sharing of love and hope there is a sharing that is far beyond what we might experience in any other relationship number 3 is doing what god says this isn't really a, a, a you know a hugely informative thing it's not wow that's that's mind blowing no this is fundamental doing what god says first john 3:24 reads the one who keeps god's commands lives in him and he in them if if you if you if you love god you'll you'll do what he says And this is how we know that He lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. The Spirit gives us the opportunity to be able to experience and to know Him in a greater way. Number four, continuing to believe the gospel. 1 John 2.24 says, "As As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. Anybody in here been saved, or, or, or you, you, can, you can trace your conversion moment back 20 years or more? Yeah? 30 years? 40? 50? I don't know if I see any more hands. Okay. 60 years? 70? Some of you put your hand down because you don't want me to know how old you are. That's all right. As for you, see that you have heard from, the, from what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. I will have to imagine for some of you, even that maybe had your hand up at 10 years, it can sometimes, in the, in the rigors of life and the discouragement that we see around us on a global scale and on a, even in our own home sometimes, or maybe within the context of work or school, whatever it might be, sometimes remembering what we have heard from the beginning can be a difficult thing. But one of the things that's required to remain in Christ is the recognition that we continue to believe the gospel. Can I just say this because I love you and at the same time, I'm saying it to myself, sometimes we get tripped up on the fact that there are things in life that might even be good, but they're not the gospel. And when we hold on to those things, we place them on the same level or even higher than the gospel, what can take place is we forget the gospel. And so we want to remain in Christ. What John is saying here in his first letter is you need to remember what you heard from the beginning. We've all played that game of telephone before where you say something to someone in their ear and then they whisper it to the next person, they whisper to the next person, get to the end and it's something ridiculous, right? Right? And we sometimes tend to believe those things that, that took place throughout the context of the, of, the, of the messed up message that got to the end. When in essence, what, what, what John is expressing here is the truth that we need to remember that first message, that first thing, that one gospel that actually moves, transforms, and changes us. And that gospel is that Jesus, God, came into this world, lived perfectly died for you and for me. And as a result of his love and his hope and his compassion, he rose from the dead, beating death. And in so doing, giving you and I the opportunity to be able to experience real and lasting spiritual life. And the amazing thing and I'm going to talk about this during communion, the amazing thing is, at, at the point to which he had to leave us, which he did leave this planet, he ascended into heaven, he went to prepare a place for you and for I, for those who remain in the vine, for those friends of His. And at the same time leaving, like we talked about last week with revelation, leaving the Holy Spirit, or allowing the Holy Spirit to come to be with us during this time, so that we wouldn't be alone. And that's the gospel. That's the truth. And then finally, number five, relating in love to the community of believers, Christ's body. John 15, 12, which we will will read in just a moment, reads like this. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's pretty straightforward. Because how has Jesus loved you and loved me? He left a place of perfection so that he could die for us. He left a place uh, next to the Father, next to the the, the Father, the the creator of all, the, the beacon of life and hope, and he came to this world so that you and I might be able to experience real and lasting love. Remain in me, remain in love to the community of believers, Christ's body. My command is this love each other. Not the way that we define it, not the way that you may have seen in the movies, not the way that the world might define it, not the way that that you, you remember it when you were younger, but my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I think the word that comes to mind when reflecting upon how God loves us is sacrificial. And sacrificial means putting aside our, sometimes our own hopes, our own desires. It means sometimes showing tough love to somebody that might be in a place uh, where they continue to, to slip or continue to fall. Sometimes uh, loving someone as Christ loved us means putting everything aside and just listening to someone else's heart without an agenda. Verse 8 continues, fruit reveals this discipleship to my Father's glory. Let me read this again. My Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. The Father's glory is in the work of the Son, and he's also glorified additionally in the fruit bearing of disciples, of you and I. Get this, our fruit, the fruit that we bear under the power of the Holy Spirit, glorifies the God who created us. And that's the best recycling program I've ever heard of, right? That God took us, essentially those who are lost and who are broken, he redeemed us, gave us away, and then allows us to be the vessel by which he is glorified once again. You understand that about about yourself? God created you to be able to glorify him. And and, and when you engage within him through the power of the spirit and through the love of, of Jesus, you then are fulfilling your purpose I talk to so many people who say, you know, I, I just don't know what my purpose is. I don't, I don't know what God wants from me. Your purpose is to glorify God. And sometimes that means glorifying God in the storms. Sometimes that means glorifying God in the good times. Sometimes that means glorifying God in the, in the short seasons, in the long seasons. Gloring, glorifying God in our relationships and all that we do. Brings glory to our God. Glory to our Father. I called my mom, or excuse me, yeah, I called my mom a a couple of days ago, or the middle part of last week, and I was talking to her. She had an operation on her eye, and I was talking to her about that, and I heard my dad in the background coaching. Not coaching her, not coaching me at, at my age today, but coaching me as a wrestler in high school. And I said, Mom, what is Dad doing? He said, she said, he found these old tapes of you wrestling and he is watching them and coaching you (laughs) during the tape. He's literally yelling out instructions at the screen, attempting to try to coach you. And then she said, get this, he cheered when you won. (laughs) Sometimes even in ways that we might not imagine, even in ways that we don't understand. Let me just get this. Sometimes we don't understand in the midst of the storm or the season, God, why would you allow this? Why would you want this? Why would you call me to that? Sometimes in ways we don't imagine, God is glorified because of our obedience. And in many cases, that's all he asked for. As your friend and as my friend, he, he asks for our obedience and our love. The last point on that one is when a vine bears much fruit, God is glorified. When a vine bears much fruit, God is glorified. <clears throat> Picking back up in verse 9, and we'll complete this portion of the passage. It reads like this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you." In verse 17, "This is my command: love each other." Verse 10, in keeping my commands, this is an indication of love. It's not just a, let's follow the rules and walk through it. But instead, what, what Christ is saying here is when you keep commands, it's an indication of the, the, the love that you have, the, the, the desire that you have to serve the God who created that loves and is sacrificed for you. When things are going well, we sometimes can feel elated. When hardships come, sometimes we seek in, in, in depression. But true joy transcends the rolling waves of circumstances, the issues that take place in our life. And the point is this, joy comes from a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. This, this indication of what it means to have a life that honors God and that follows Him. I want to read this specific statement because I wrote it in a way that that I want to make sure I hit properly. It says, when our lives are intertwined with his, he will help us walk through adversity without sinking into deliberating lows and manage prosperity without moving into deceptive highs. The joy of living with Jesus Christ daily will keep us level-headed no matter how high or low our circumstances. God wants to walk through this life with you, the highs and the lows. And oftentimes, what happens is we forget that. Instead, we think, God, things are so good right now. Or we don't even think about God, things are so good right now. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm just going to keep on working through this. Or, on the other hand, God, I can't believe that this, this thing is happening in my life. Why would you do this to me? Jesus continues on this concept of understanding why with this really call to arms, this call to action. Verse 12, love each other. Do you love each other in in a way that would give yourself up for another, another one's life? In verse 13, that's the greatest love we can give is to give up our life from someone else. Remember hearing the phrase one time that you won't die for something that you're not living for today. That might be true specifically even in our relationships. Would you die for someone that you are willing to, that you're not willing to live for today? Not willing to sit down and and listen? Not willing to to, to give towards in your time, your talent and treasure? Would you die for someone who simply you don't care about now? Now? We may not have to give our lives up for someone else, but we should practice this sacrificial love in listening and helping and encouraging and giving and loving others in our lives, in our context today. Keeping commands indicates this friendship, and we will be called friends. Verse 15, I, I love this. It, it specifically states, "...I no longer call you servants." For everything, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. I love friendships where there's no secrets, where there's not this, this unbalance of power where one person has it all and the other person's kind of just always subservient. No, instead what, what Christ says is I've given you everything. In fact, I've given you myself. I've given you my life. I've given you everything that I am so that you might understand and experience what the Father has for you. Everything I've made known. And finally, that last point, he should call us servants, but instead, he calls us friends. Get this for a moment. Personalize this for a moment. You, me, we should, I should be called a servant of God. But because of his provision, because of his love, because of his sacrifice and his selflessness, instead, he calls you, he calls me, he calls I a friend. And really, what, what better term, what better embrace, what better phrase could we be called than a friend of God? I remember the song lyric, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. He deserves obedience, the, the, the master and the Lord. We owe it to him. However, Jesus asked us to obey, not because we want to follow the rules, but because we love him as a reflection of the love that he first granted and gave us. He made the first choice to love and to die for us, and we make the next choice to accept it or reject it. We make the next choice to, to put away and to allow God to prune off, if you're a believer already, to prune off the pieces, the things that simply are causing us from experiencing Him in a greater way. Without His choice, get this, without His choice, which it was a choice, without His choice, we have no choice at all. And sometimes you might think, well, maybe that'd be better. It would be nice to just not have to worry about it. Without his choice, we would be lost forever. We would all be pruned off and thrown into the fire. This morning, we, uh, we're going to take a moment, and we're going to continue in, in worship through a moment of, of engaging in communion. And I love this passage that we just walked through as it pertains to this understanding of communion of the Lord's Supper because of two reasons. One, the Lord's Supper is a reflection upon, obviously it's a, it's a duplication. It, it, is a, it, is a, it is an act that we do as a means of grace to be able to be obedient to God and to follow Him and to grow in grace with Him. And that's part of what the Lord's Supper is, but it's also a moment of communion, which as we, we walk through this passage, we recognize the, the reality that God wants not only for us to be friends with Him, but also for us to engage with each other to love each other. And I know you know we can't be friends with every single person, but this, this concept of being the body of Christ is one of communal action, communal choice. There, there's a reason why we don't go into our closet and take communion by ourselves, but instead God calls us to do so with connection with one another because it's, it's a communal as well as an individual act of grace. Communion is a moment where we engage together with two physical elements that Jesus had in the the first communion table, at the first communion table at the Last Supper. And in this moment, he gathered his disciples together and he he recalled upon some very telling and very important facts and understanding about their, their, their lives and what was to come with his life, death and resurrection. And one of the things that he states within that is this Understanding that this should be a continuation, an action done continually in remembrance of Him. So here's maybe the question before we even pray to consecrate the elements and move into this moment. Do we remember Him? Not just now, cognitively in this moment, but in our lives, in our words, through the way that we spend our time, talent, and treasure as a friend of God. Do we remember Him? him. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.